0: Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Well, if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to just take a few sections out of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're going to talk about God's justice this week. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 21. Let me just say this really quick. The hallmark, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The hallmark of the Christian story is not justice through violence or anger. It's not justice through uh, hate or invective rhetoric. The heart or the hallmark of the Christian story is justice through forgiveness. Can I get an amen? So Jesus, uh, we find in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is summoning his followers to uh, embrace forgiveness-only people vocation. So we're called to be forgiveness-only people. How many of you were here last week? Okay, many of you were here last week. And so we talked about we're called, we're summoned by Jesus, right? Brother James tells us uh, to be blessing-only people. So today I'm going to be talking about, hey, Jesus is summoning us to be forgiveness-only people and the justice, putting this world back to rights. How many of you want this world be- to be put back to rights? Right, putting this world back to rights according to God. God's justice comes not through anger. It doesn't come through violence. Can I get an amen to that? It doesn't come through invective. It comes through forgiveness. This is shocking. It's counterintuitive. Uh, this is revolutionary. What we find, Jesus applies this on the cross. We talked about this last week, Matthew chapter 27. Jesus is on the cross. His mockers are at the foot of the cross. And Jesus, thank God, doesn't, doesn't blankety-blank everybody. Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't call angels down, doesn't call fire down to destroy souls. Jesus, he shouts, Father, forgive them. Everyone say, Forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So this is like our starting point. So how how do we get to that? Right? How, how do we enter into this, this vocation of being forgiveness-only people? How do, how do we work that out practically in our lives? Well, Jesus gives us a, A practical solution. How many like practical stuff? Like, I'm not like the most practical guy. I like other things, but practical is good, okay? So uh, I'm going to get really practical here uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says, okay, if you, if, if you want to embrace this summons to be forgiveness-only people, if, if you want to overcome lust, if you want to overcome uh, vengeance, if you want to overcome your hatred of your enemy, we got to begin with anger. And he says, you have heard that it is said of old. He's speaking of the Torah. This is verse 21. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone say, but I say to you. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire, to Gehenna. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Everyone say, and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. We fast forward to Matthew at the end of Matthew chapter five. Jesus is taking his disciples through a journey. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. How many of you think that's a good thing, right? We're going to love our neighbor. But you've also heard that you can love your neighbor and you can hate your enemy. Jesus says something uh, subversive. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray. Everyone say pray. How many believe in prayer? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Can I just say this really quick? Your Father in heaven, this is what Jesus is saying, loves everybody. Doesn't make distinctions. There's, there's like no social category when it comes to the love of God. God wants to bless everybody. Can I get an amen to that? For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even attack, tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And everyone said, amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we thank you for your grace. Uh, We, man, we're so thankful for your presence this morning. Holy Spirit, come and and speak to us in the next few minutes few minutes. Lord, we thank you for transforming how we think about ourselves, how we think about this world. Jesus, we love you. Lord, I thank you for your energy and your strength right now to to share your word. And Lord, we bless uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Lord, we know they're going to lose today. And uh, we ask you would heal their hearts. Prepare them. Prepare them in Jesus' name. And we also bless Tom Brady, and we also bless the Dallas Cowboys. And, Lord, we just ask that you would help all the Seattle Seahawks fans. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. So Jesus, hey, so Jesus is like, okay, so if we want to undermine the whole edifice of human corruption, like you, you have to start with, with anger. And so Jesus says, hey, it's not, it's not just good enough not to murder somebody. Aren't you glad your, your neighbor isn't plotting to murder you? At least we hope he's not plotting or she's plotting to murder you. Jesus is saying, hey, it's not good enough that you're not like Pablo Escobar, right, who loved his his uh, family. If you don't know who he was, he was a drug cartel guy. like He was uh, running drugs all the way from Colombia to Miami, and on the way, he was killing a lot of people. Jesus is saying, hey, it's not just good enough that you're not Pablo Escobar or you're not a psychopath. Jesus is saying, hey, if you allow anger to smolder in your heart, you're liable to judgment. Like, Many, many people think, okay, I have a good heart if my standard is I didn't murder anybody today, right? Somehow I'm right with God if I didn't go psychopathic on somebody in the Starbucks line, right? But, but Jesus says, no, 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 there's something deeper. He's challenging the people of God into a new way of being human, into a new way of being the people of God in a world that's gone crazy. So anger is a big issue, for Jesus, how many of you think that, that our world right now has an anger problem? How many of you think that Bob Ross would be a great uh, cure to the anger? Do you know who he is? Did you grow up watching Bob Ross? Afro on P- PBS, you know, the painting, and the, how many of you love the serenity? I love the serenity. Um, it's funny. There's a weird phenomenon that happens when I watch Bob Ross. It's like the back of my head tingles. Is, does that ever happen to anybody? It is, it's really weird. A couple days ago, uh, Quincy woke up early with me and a uh, smart little guy, he turned on, he loves Bob Ross. He turned it on and he watched it for about 25 minutes. I turned around, I'm not even joking. This is, this is his face for 25 minutes. <laughs> right, I think we need a little bit more Bob Ross. Um, but Jesus can go to the depths of our heart and, and change us. I think we need the good heart of the kingdom in order to counteract the hysteria, the anger, the rage, the violence that's fomenting in our society. Anger is an issue that Jesus wants to deal with before anything else. Let me just say this really quick. There's another sense that the reason why we got to deal with anger in our life is because anger has the characteristic of a virus. It's communicable. In other words, you can transfer your anger to somebody else. So I want you to imagine a scenario where a boss, let's place of work, where a boss yells at his junior associate, right, in anger, and then the junior associate then goes to uh, his or her assistant and yells at his or her assistant. Then that assistant then goes to the receptionist and yells at the receptionist. And the receptionist then goes back home and yells at uh, his or her like seven-year-old daughter. And then you know because anger is communicable, that daughter then goes to the cat and begins to yell and shout at the cat, right? And the cat doesn't care because cats don't have feelings. So at least it stops there, right? Maybe we should all just vent on cats, and we would be okay, because they can handle it. And all the cat people said amen to that. There's there's a cycle. There's it. it anger is transmittable. It's. It has the characteristic of a virus, and this is why Jesus is saying, hey, you better better eliminate it from your life if you want to address human corruption in you. But Jesus is even making a deeper point here. Jesus addresses anger before he addresses lust, before he addresses divorce, before he addresses oaths and manipulation, before he addresses non-retaliation and loving your enemies, The first thing that Jesus does is to address anger. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, I think Jesus would say, these are my words, that anger is the mother of all human corruption. Like, I want you to imagine evil. Everyone say evil. Like, radical evil or human uh, corruption as this massive structure. And at its foundation is anger. And imagine if you can get rid of the foundation, anger from human corruption, you would be able to topple evil itself. I think Jesus is saying something like this, man, if you can eliminate anger from your heart, from from a habit, from a practice, you can be successful in dealing with every dehumanized habit in your life. Like wherever you find lust, lust is, is desire twisted out of shape. Wherever you find greed, wherever you find judgmentalism or worry or, or fear or anxiety, whatever, you will find the presence or the signs of anger. That's why it's important that we deal with anger. It's, it's funny, a couple, actually last week, I went onto Twitter and I started reading all these good articles about what's happening in our world right now. I mean, good articles. And remember, I spent about, this is a lot for me, about 30 minutes Reading all these different articles, and I remember I started feeling inside a, a profound sense of, of disillusionment, of frustration. Uh, I started feeling sad, angry. I'm like, what's wrong with me? My wife, as as I was reading, scrolling through some again, really good articles. My wife had a question for me, and I'm like, What? And I'm like, oh God, what's wrong with me? Right? It's funny how man. In, in all of us, there's this readiness, right, to set the world on fire with our words. Now, let me just say this really quick. Anger, as, as, a, as a human problem, as a basic emotion, is something that we all struggle with. Every When I said anger at the beginning, you were thinking about somebody else, right? It's funny how we do this. Like, Anger is not just for the dude that's 40 years old, still living in his mom's basement, typing some blog about conspiracies, wanting to blow up the world, right? We think of anger like that, or the guy that's blankety-blanket everybody in the middle of the street losing his mind. Yes, that's obviously a form of anger, but anger is so deceptive because it can mask itself. It masks itself as sadness and self-pity. Rest assured, those who are sad and those who practice self-pity, those who complain, you know what's behind that? Smoldering anger. So Jesus said, hey, if you, if you want to learn to be forgiveness-only people, you have to undermine first, before anything else, the power and the dynamism of anger in your own heart. Can I get an amen to that? But So, so what's behind anger? Why, why do we get so angry? Uh, for example, my wife and I, we, we went to an old subdivision. We wanted to see an old house. And so we were, the kids were with us. We were in our car and we were driving about 10 miles an hour. And again, we were kind of nostalgic. We were telling the kids all these good stories about, you know, hey, you, you, Quincy Wesley, you were born here and Whitney, you lived here for a month. And uh, we were, it was just really like a, a, a fun moment for us. Well, my wife was driving, and if you could pray for her, she's a little, in, you know, inattentive when she drives. <laughs> totally, totally kidding. So we're, we're driving, and we didn't see this car coming. And so we're on this road. Again, we're going about tw- uh, 10 miles an hour. And this road goes into like this. It, it forms a T, and so there's a car coming this way. We're coming this way. We didn't, again, we're not going that fast. We kind of go out a little bit. The car... Uh, sees us, doesn't slow down, so we, we slam on our brakes. Well, as they pass, um, I see the, the gentleman. Everyone say the gentleman. The gentleman, he, he gave me the face. You know, if looks could kill. Like, I knew he had intent to harm me, but he knew and I knew that I'm a bigger guy and you don't mess with redheads. So his, his look of malice was only, it's like I, I have the intention to hurt you, but I know you can hurt me, kind of a thing. But in that moment, it's so, it's, the irony is just palpable. Last week, we talked about practicing silence. And in that moment, my first thought was, I just want to go over there and I just want to punch you in the face, right? <laughs> but I have to practice silence. And so, you know, kind of gave him a wave and like, ah, I'm sorry, you know, honked for a long time. And then they kind of went their way. I remember thinking, man, We all struggle with this. We've all probably done something like that. Maybe not with a stranger, but maybe with a family member or a friend or something. We we allow anger to smolder. And then there's just that readiness within us to, to jump on somebody. Well, what's behind that? Well, behind anger is this cartoonish, inflated sense of self. When you get angry, it's like, it's, it, you're, you're offended because you just assume that somehow you are at the center of the universe. That's the look that I got from this guy. It was almost like, did you not know that I am the master of this universe and you somehow crossed my arbitrary will, right? And somehow you're less than. That is what like defines anger. What is behind anger is this ridiculous caricature of someone's self-importance. The reason why we get angry is because we are, hate to break it to all of us, we are very egotistical. Like don't cross, unbelievable, you're crossed by will, right? Oh my word, like in relationships, we get so frustrated because we, we confuse our will with God's will. And married people, you know what I'm talking about, right? You get in an argument and you start taking it personal and you start talking about your truth as the gospel truth. When it all comes down to it, anger is the result of this inflated sense of self. And Jesus basically says, I don't play that. And if you collude with anger, you will never find yourself at home in my kingdom. Because all, it's, it's, it's driven by this, again, this caricature of your own self-importance. But anger works with contempt. Jesus said, hey, I don't, I don't even want you to go and say you fool. In the Old Testament world, to call someone a fool is basically to say that they are less than human. So to, to, to call someone a fool in the Aramaic is raka, to say raka is to say, hey, you just don't have value as a human. So basically, this gives full vent to contempt. Anger is this intent to hurt you because you somehow crossed my arbitrary boundary of of this inflated sense of self. Contempt is basically saying, you're not worth it. When you treat people with contempt or God with contempt, you're essentially saying, you just don't have value because I am the most important person in the universe. And no one has ever experienced this. I can feel the holiness in this room. No one's ever experienced this in this room. Like all the other people out there, all the different churches. Well, it's, it's important that we understand this because if we want to challenge human corruption, if, if we want to overcome and, and learn to be God's people in a world that's lost its mind we have to elect, we have to allow God to come and change our hearts but there's a deeper meaning Jesus is talking as he's taking people through the sermon on the mount and he's talking about dealing with anger Jesus is taking people deep people deeper he's essentially redrawing the whole symbolic world of Israel he's 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 defying, as we talked about last week, this militant revolutionary model of bringing God's justice to this world. Back in this day, you had the hardline Pharisees, you had the zealots who believed and were shaped by a vision that God's justice, putting this world back to rights, would only happen through violence and violent rhetoric. God's people had colluded with this. The idea of being light to the world had been taken over by this sense of bringing God's justice to this world through violent means. Jesus is saying, no. The way I bring justice and the way I put this world back together is through forgiveness. It's dealing with the anger in your heart. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you. And as you allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, God's justice God's blessing flows through you back into this world. So Jesus is making the point. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What is Jesus talking about? I think Jesus is saying, hey, God's people have been taken over by a wrong model for being God's people in the world. The kingdom of God will not come to planet earth through violence. It's not gonna come through your righteous Indignation. Well, some of you are like, well, Chris, we're dealing with anger. What about righteous anger? We could talk about that a year from now. I think we just need to deal with anger. Because I think most of us never experience righteous anger. I think we want to excuse ourselves and call our anger something that it's not righteous. No, if we can learn this first, if we can practice allowing Jesus to undermine the anger in our lives so that we can practice forgiveness only people vocation. That's when I think we can move into righteous anger. But Jesus is man he's dealing with a point. He's saying, "Hey guys, your desire to fight the pagans." Imagine. Jesus is talking to a lot of people that are living on subsistence. People in this day, this day and era have been oppressed by the Romans. They've been taxed and taxed and taxed and taxed. They've been oppressed for centuries. I can't even imagine Jesus within this setting saying, okay, set aside your anger. My justice and putting this world back to rights will not come through your anger and through your violence and through blood and through the sword. It's only gonna come when you open your heart to my love and my mercy and my forgiveness and my blessing. God wants to bless the world, all of it, not just a few people, not just some of it. Can I get an amen? God wants to transform the Republicans, the Democrats, those those protesters that maybe some of you don't like, right? Maybe some presidents that you might not like. God is not just for a select group of people. Jesus makes it very clear. My Father in heaven, hey, check this out. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He lets the sun shine on those who do evil and those who do righteous. Why? Because love and generosity is what characterizes our Father in heaven. And to me, that's good news. And we are called and summoned to be people that are characterized not by violence or anger or frustration, come on, or disillusionment. We are called by Jesus to be defined and characterized by radical generosity, which comes in the form of forgiveness. The desire to fight the pagans through violence, through war, through blood, through the sword, through violent rhetoric, is itself pagan. I think that's what Jesus would say. So we move into verse 24. Jesus said, okay, this is how we undermine anger. You need to do this really quick. He imagines a scenario where a worshiper buys an animal to sacrifice, and he's almost up to the altar to sacrifice at the temple, and he remembers that somebody has something against him. So Jesus says, imagine this point, the worshiper, in order to reconcile, Goes all the way back to Galilee. Galilee and Jerusalem were about three, three days apart. So imagine, you just bought your animal, you place it on the sacrifice. You, you know you have to reconcile with someone who has something against you, and you go three days back to that person to reconcile. I mean, I think the animal would be excited about that. Can I get an amen? He's like, thank God. But Jesus is like, he, it, it, there's comedy. He's exaggerating to show us, hey, this is the extravagant lengths that you have to go if you want to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God to this world. Like Jesus is saying, hey, reconciliation actually comes before worship. As primacy in God's world. And how many believe that worship is really important? Worship is really important, but reconciliation is more important than anything. Like, I don't think you can speak the truth in love to the powers if you're not negotiating from a place of reconciliation. Because most, I'm, I hate to break it to you, I just know myself. I know human nature, people who fight for justice, and I've been it before for the Cowboys and other things that are, really, you know, And obviously serious things that we fight for, if we're not careful, our version of justice can turn into vengeance. Where it's not about reconciliation, it's not about speaking the truth and articulating an injustice, it's actually just focused on vengeance and destruction. I am so glad my father in heaven did not treat me that way. When you were still, when we were still in sin, Christ went all the way to the cross. And when he's on the cross, he didn't blankety-blank us. Thank you, Lord. He didn't say, I want to destroy them. I want to destroy their soul. No, your Father in heaven sent his Son, and he went to the cross, and he shouted, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Forgiveness is our strength starting point. If we intend to embrace Jesus, if we intend to follow Jesus in a world that's going crazy, man, we got to practice forgiveness. We have to practice love. So why is reconciliation so important? How many of you like stranger things? Five of you like stranger things. All right. It might sound a little bit sci-fi because as, as a young man, I never understood why reconciliation was the most important thing. Like, reconciliation is the heart of the gospel. Forgiveness flows out of reconciliation. It's kind of a feedback loop. Forgiveness brings reconciliation, but reconciliation deals with a, the fundamental problem or the problem that shapes the entire universe. And so for a long time, I, I never really understood why Jesus advocated reconciliation. And over the years, I've studied it, I've looked at it, and I realize that reconciliation is not just a human-on-human thing. Reconciliation is not just a God and human thing, and it is. Reconciliation is all about heaven and earth. Heaven, and this is where, this is biblical cosmology 101. Heaven is God's space. It's a different kind of space. It's It's an altogether different kind of dimension. But when we go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in the creation story, heaven and earth were always meant to be together. God's space and our space. How many of you love planet earth? We have all the raw materials. We have the ugly color red. Right. We have Starbucks. We have, the, this is our space. Our space was always designed to be united with God's space. Heaven and earth are two halves of God's good creation. But when Adam and Eve rebelled, guess what happened? Yes, they were exiled from the garden, but heaven and earth were torn apart. The cosmos itself is ruptured all the way through because of the rebellion of, of, of Adam and Eve. And that's why you have Paul talking about the cosmos and the space-time continuum in heaven and earth in Colossians 1:19 and 20, When Paul said, hey, all things on earth and all things in heaven are reconciled through Jesus. And there's peace. How many of you want more peace? There's peace. Why? Well, because Jesus went to the cross, right? And at the cross, he exhausted the powers of evil. And on the third day, he bodily came back from the dead. What is that all about? Jesus in his death and resurrection dealt with the fundamental rupture that went all the way through the cosmos that tore apart heaven and earth. In Jesus, heaven, God's space, united with earth, our space. And that is why you have in Matthew chapter 27 this obscure passage. After Jesus dies on the cross, Matthew then tells us, gives us a picture of what happened in the temple. The veil that separated God's space and our space, what happened? Was torn apart. That enmity, that brokenness was healed in the body of Jesus and in his reconciliation. So if, if we don't negotiate from a place of reconciliation in our life, we are choosing to live in old creation. And Paul makes it very clear. The New Testament authors make it very clear that if you collude with the spirit of this age, which is old creation, that's passing away. Because new creation is now here in Jesus. Heaven and earth has come together. The very problem that has made everything wrong in our world has been made right by Jesus. So to not choose, if you want to you find yourself home in the kingdom of Jesus, to not choose to walk in forgiveness and to practice reconciliation is like you going out to, let's say, what's the uh, 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 Bogus Basin, right? And you jump off the cliff, maybe on Bogus Basin, what's, uh, what's the cross place? Help my brain. Table Rock. It's Super Bowl Sunday, Right? You go to Table Rock, and it's like you saying, I'm just going to jump off, and gravity is not going to affect me at all. And I'm going to fly like the eagles, right? For you to choose not to reconcile is essentially you saying the same thing. Gravity doesn't affect me. Well, hey, if you want God's justice to come to this world and to flow through your life, you have to be radically committed to reconciliation. Because what you're saying, you're, you're, Every time a relationship is brought back together, you're you're, you're pointing to a large-scale thing that has already happened in Jesus. You're essentially saying, hey, I'm doing this because heaven and earth has already come together in Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, hey, this is how I want you to pray. My kingdom come, what my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven um, doesn't have any problems. Earth does. And earth now is united, or heaven is united with earth. And God is making all things right through his son, Jesus. And this is why we give our lives to forgiveness. Chris, are you saying we can't speak the truth in love? Are you saying there aren't injustices out there? No, there, there are. There really are. And I think as a church over the next few years, I think we need to embrace the dangerous vocation of speaking truth to the powers. Can I get an amen? But we're never going to do that out of a context of hate. Martin Luther King said this a long time ago, probably my all-time favorite quote. He said, hey, you can bomb, you can bomb our homes, you can burn down our churches, but we will wear you down with our love. And in the end, speaking to the powers, you will no longer be enemies, but you will be friends. This is close. It's not close enough, but it's close to what Jesus is saying and leading us into a life of being a forgiveness-only people. So how how do we practice this? Well, Jesus said, okay, um, the way you be forgiveness-only people and the way that you enter into this love is you have to pray. You have to pray. Jesus said, hey, Guys, 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 guys. I'm I'm tired of you saying, oh, you got to love your neighbor. Most people can love their neighbor. But I want you to go deeper. I want you to love your enemy. Because this is what what lies at loving your enemy. What lies at the heart of that is reconciliation. And I want to flow through you because there are some things I want to do through you in your enemy's heart. So, Jesus said, this is the way you love your enemy. You have to pray for him. I can't talk to people that are unchurched. They, 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 they build their lives on a, a secular foundation and assumptions. But I can now speak to Christians. When I see Christians going on Twitter or Instagram and colluding with hysteria and anger, even though their cause is righteous, I know in a second that they have not once prayed for the person that they're excoriating, whether that's on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Before we can speak the truth in love, how about we practice loving our enemies by praying for them? How do we deal with the anger in our life, whether that's with our spouse or our kids or our friends or our coworkers? Again, no one's ever experienced anything like that. Enmity in your home or in your life. How do we break that off? We break that off by praying for those who are not only our enemies, but maybe people that are just in the season frustrating us. Maybe, maybe people that just rub us the wrong way. Maybe people that you're supposed to love, right, but you don't like. That doesn't even make sense to me, but I hear Christians talking like that all the time. I love you, but I really don't like you. So how do you pray for, and it's a weird dichotomy. How do we pray for people that we love, but we really don't like? Well, uh, Jesus gives us uh, a solution here, and this is where we're going to end. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse uh, 5, Jesus said, when you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, everyone say when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. Like just occasionally, hey, if you pray like once a month. No, he said when you pray every single day. Go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father, everyone say your father. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, shut the door. What does that mean? That means you gotta remove distractions. You gotta practice, and we're gonna talk more about this next week or the next few weeks. You gotta practice solitude, stepping out of the traffic so you can hear God speak to you. Like when you, because I'll be really honest with you. Uh, I like to keep, the the metaphorical doors open in my life. I like it when I'm praying to have some distractions because I've realized when I come to God, God usually comes to me and brings up things in my life that I had no idea were there. One author said, hey, solitude and spending time with Jesus is not a therapeutic place or practice. Shutting the door in your life and practicing solitude is a place of conversion. When you pray and you open your life up to Jesus, you you shut the door and you allow God to speak to you, I guarantee some things will come out of you. God will point out in his love and in his truth some biases in your own heart. And there's not one person in here that does not have at least five different biases. We all have it. And the only way we can overcome anger, the only way that we can truly be forgiveness only people is to practice shutting the door and spending time with Jesus. So next seven days, I have a a project for you. Last week, we talked about practicing the art of silence, not saying one negative thing about one person. Everyone in this room felt isn't it funny? Come on, raise your hand. Did you, we all fell I failed. I failed on day one. Isn't it funny when you practice not saying something negative, you begin to realize how negative your talk has been? That's the point. So we've practiced that. You can continue to practice that. But this week for seven days, this is not for 14 days. Isn't it is for the rest of the year? Just for seven days. I want you to practice loving your enemies by praying for them every single day. Well, Chris, I don't have an enemy. Well, you, you do. You do. But maybe it's not like someone you're really angry at. Maybe maybe there's a, a rift in a relationship with someone at work. Maybe it's just awkward. You've ever had those awkward moments with somebody and you know because you just haven't talked through maybe an issue? Maybe you're frustrated with somebody it, or, or maybe there's someone in your past that really hurts you or betrayed you and you need. You need to release forgiveness, whatever that For is. Seven days, let's practice loving our enemies by praying for them. Guess what? Um, Your enemy might not change. Or that person, maybe it's not an enemy, maybe someone really frustrates you, they might not change. But I guarantee for seven days, if you pray for somebody, you'll change. You, you, you. Okay, the problem in this world is not the president. It's not all the liberal progressives. It's not all the neocons, the conservatives, whatever. You know what the problem in the world is? It's us. It's me, it's me, it's me. And when you go to God, God will change you. And when your enemy is still acting like your enemy, because you went to God and you prayed for them, you're going to have so much stinking love for them In the end, you will win them over as your friend. And Jesus will be glorified. That's what I want to see. Go to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.